Hello, my name is Lauren, but you probably know me as Catherine Ross. I'm here to let you know that if you love our content and want to feel the same dread, terror, and jubilation that I do, then make sure to check out Lurking Fears when you head out to your next convention. With a great group of professional storytellers, Lurking Fears is able to weave stories that will haunt you and take you to the very edge of madness, which is something I know a little bit about. Now, while specializing in Call of Cthulhu, Lurking Fears also runs games from a variety of other systems, so there's something for everyone. They're committed to running heavy RPG adventures that are driven by the narrative and, of course, by the player's choices. So, check out their Facebook page and follow them to keep on top of which con they'll be hosting games at next. Trust me, you will not be disappointed. Now, let's get back to the action and see what our Keeper Raz has in store for us. But if history has taught us anything, probably going to be bad news. This episode is sponsored by our Patreon subscribers. Thank you so much for your continued support. If you're not a member yet, you can join our Patreon for as low as $1 per month to support the cast and crew of The Bardic College. Unlock bonus content featuring your favorite players, get exclusive access to shows you can't find anywhere else, and even get a chance to have Raz run a game of your choice. Visit us online at patreon.com slash thebardiccollege. You're listening to a 7th edition Call of Cthulhu podcast titled Cthulhu in Cairo, brought to you by the Bardic College. Please remember to like, share, and subscribe to the show to receive notifications as our future episodes release. You can visit us on Facebook at the Bardic College. Viewer discretion is advised. Hey, everybody. It's Raz. Coming to you live from the Bardic College uh, warehouse thing, headquarters, whatever we call this place that I record in, office. But um, I'm joined by several members of the team, and we are back because we, well, we made a commitment that we're going to finish this show by hook or by crook. It may take us another six years. We don't know, but we're going to make sure we come to an end at some point. But in the meantime, I'm joined by Vadim Gavrilov, uh, played by Scott. Uh, also, Catherine Ross, played by Lauren Grigoletti, and Kayla, playing Ella Walcott. Kayla. So um, how's everybody this evening? You can just shout it out as you feel is good to do that. I don't. Fantastic. Awesome. Keeper, I'm doing fabulous. Catherine's recording locale has changed. I'm in a beach house currently. Yes, that's true. So, uh, Catherine is yeah. Catherine is re- more remote than normal. We are on a little mini break, dear listeners, because I'm stressed. Yes, but- it's all the <laughs> it's all the podcasting. It's all the high emotion I bring to you every episode. Well, maybe the calm ocean sounds will remind you to remain chill throughout this episode. With what you and the keeper have planned for today, what I've been warned about, chill is probably not going to happen. Well, there you go. The uh, yes, so just back from Origins, and we're gonna. Bo- I'm gonna do a small little Patreon thing about what happened, but I can let all the listeners out there know Origins was a really good success for us. Uh, we are definitely. Uh, we did have some complications about Gen Con this year. Some things came up for some of the cast members, but we are committed to get everybody out to Origins next year. Uh, we're going to be one of the featured people that uh, Lurking Fears is bringing over. This year, they had that Professor Dungeon Master, myself, a bunch of other guests. But uh, yeah, we're we're really excited. It's it, We're hoping for some big things, and we're going to try to sell as many tickets as possible. So keep your eyes and ears open. And as Origins gets, you know, gets into its planning stages here in a couple months, we'll definitely keep you abreast of everything that's going on. I also want to take a moment and say hello to Amber Traugott. I'm hoping, Amber, I'm saying that right. I'm so sorry. If I didn't, from Lay of the Land, if you have a chance, check out Lay of the Land, www.layoftheland3d.com. That's the number three. They make the most amazing dice towers and stuff. I got Dr. Mafuchi. I'm gonna, I post a picture of it. I will post another one at some point. Uh, but Amber 
uh, hoping to do business with you in, in the near future again. Um, this may be, have to be some sort of a Christmas present for some of my players because this thing is awesome. And I like to remember Venice every time I get a chance. So uh, players, <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, no, everyone just goes, really? Of all the places yes. in the world that you want to remember. That would be such Maybe. a keeper gift for us. Hey. <laughs> Followed up by like you know the 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 dice box of skin or something like that. Ew! Yeah, the one with the eyes in it that they have out now. No, just just looks. So I'll tell you, we're the the contests that we're running for our two year anniversary, which is going on right now live. uh, We've gotten uh, Catherine is running away with some of the quotes. She is the quotable from the show. Listen, I'm Uh, a a walking meme. The even keeper only got one one, and that's when I called myself an asshole. So I mean, other than that, I mean, yes, there's been some great memories, but memories coming up from everybody. But I, I, I Catherine, so far misquotable. It's my meme ability. What can I say? All right. So last time we left, uh, we left the girls in the basement of the brownstone that was owned by the Dawson family. They had found a secret passage down. Go figure. Not something that would probably happen in that house, right? The way Richard Dawson was. And when they went downstairs into the basement, they had uh, discovered a sarcophagus with all kinds of strange and occult script. Uh, The face painting, the Roman style, if you're familiar with uh, mummies and mummification, the Romans had a different look to theirs. They did actual faces of the deceased painted by a professional artist, but then the mummification style of uh, the Egyptians, it was kind of when all the two cultures kind of meshed and crossed over a little bit. But so it had uh, the face of Nora Dawson, which is Faye's mom, all the arcane sigils. There was arcane symbols on the ground, a couple bookshelves, some uh, gas lights that had been burning, as far as we know, perpetually uh, opened and just giving off a soft glow around the room. Very strange situation. Um, that's where we're going to start for a moment, and then we're going to kick it over to Vadim, who's on his way to Portugal. But um, just to give the listeners a, an idea where we are at, Faye runs uh, from this scene. She runs out of the room. Up the stairs, she's screaming and yelling, how could he do this? How could he do this? My mother can't be in there. She's got to be, you know, I know. I saw the box go in the ground. I was there. Her footsteps fade up the stairs as she's frantically screaming. Catherine, under normal circumstances, you know, you're always in this position of, you know, you and Faye are the two original members left. You've known Jack and Vadim and Ella for some time now, several months You've gone through some seriously hard times with them and, and you've made bonds. Normally, I know that your your instinct, though, would be to run to the person fleeing a room and just make sure she's okay. But as you turn, you notice that Ella has got this look in her eye and she's starting to approach the sarcophagus. Like, yeah, I need to see what this is. Like, really close. Are you insane? What What are you doing? She doesn't even respond at first. She's kind of... Tilting her head left to right, trying to circle it if like it's in an open enough space. Like she's gonna study it first visually. She's already in a trance. Hey, creepy! Stop it! What are you? This is. I'm sorry. What? Hi. Hello. Remember me? Person in room with you. What are you doing? Just observing, mostly. That better all be you. You're doing. Come on. We. She's very upset. I, we have to go and. Yes, I'm pretty sure she's very upset. Look at the detail on this thing. I don't care if... if Listeners, I almost said Caravaggio. (laughs) Artist. (laughs) (laughs) I don't care if a Renaissance master, well known for his chiaroscuro, painted it. (laughs) Wow. Little art art. history joke there. (laughs) Anyway, 
Mel can cut that out if she chooses. I don't think she should. I thought that was funny. <laughs> Back in. Ella, I don't care who painted it. it. It's creepy. It's gross. It could be our dear friend's mom. So maybe we don't form some sort of unholy, dark, disgusting attachment to it. Hmm? I'm not going to mate with the thing. What do you think I would do? You obviously do not understand the whole scope of what it is I'm actually doing right now, so just give me a You're second. circling it like a vulture. I, yes. It, Ella! Mm-hmm. Why don't you go talk to Faye, darling? Go. <laughs> we'll, we'll pause right there, because, <laughs> yes, that was so Vincent Price, I almost wanted to capture that. All right, so over to the plane has landed, Vadim. You and uh, Gustav have landed in outside of Lisbon. It's, the airport's not far. It's It's several hills, but it's a hill or two away. It's within a 15, 20-minute cab ride. And um, he goes in and makes the necessary, and I'm showing the symbol for money, the necessary arrangements to have Aveline's body and, you know, the box taken away, stored temporarily, and have it checked through customs. I'm going to note, Vadim pulled out a bunch of cash when we all left Russia, and he has noticed over the last few weeks how eager everyone is to pay for everything. And he just kind of like shrinks into the background and just lets, you know, that's that's fine. I'll just hold on to my coin and let everybody else pay. <laughs> so, it's just, <laughs> I need to know, is this, is this is Vadim just, is this Vadim? Because John Schooley probably would have been a quick payer. I think John was a quick payer. Yeah. But Vadim is a Vadim's a slow guy for the wallet. Like oh. Vadim is very comfortable with himself. So uh so he does not need to be the one that's like, I got the check. Nope. <laughs> You'd take care of Big this. picture guy. <laughs> <laughs> they spend money like they're from the West. Yeah. So uh the yes, people are constantly Dropping cash in this this unit. People are writing home to, or calling their uncles. That conversation happened last time, and that was rather enjoyable. <laughs> so we'll, hopefully the listeners enjoyed hearing from Uncle Al after a long time. Uh, but yes, the the car, you know, you're able to get a cab. And uh, really, he's he's sort of leaving it up to you, Vadim, where where you're heading. But he did, like you, like I say, he you did see him make contact with somebody there. There was a handoff of some cash. To your trained eye, you know, a lot of people probably missed the pass. But with your eye and knowing how people approach and how they, their body language, you saw the pass off with no problem. You know that he was prepared to, to do this and that somebody met him to help him. So Vadim has, uh, I, I am assuming at this point that Vadim has a contact uh, to be able to, to you know, reach into the local underworld and, and start making, uh, uh, to make actual contact with Mr. This, this Franco Alvarez uh, name that he has. Yeah, actually, I, in... You probably, uh, what's his name, gave you some kind of a of, of a lead. The warehouses were really, his offices, this Alvarez's offices, would be down by the warehouse dock anyway. So we may just, may, we may just show up there. That might be the thing. It's probably the fastest way to get to him. Because, I mean, he does have, while he does some illegitimate things, he has a legitimate front. And a big one. Like, you know, he's got five or six warehouses that are all his. And we're talking about cargo, you know, unloading boats huge long two three hundred foot buildings Vadim is 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 torn he's anxious um he's here he's you know um his instincts are telling him calm down um you know go through your steps when you arrive in a new place make sure you have a base of operations um find a room at a hotel his heart is telling him find a cab go to the warehouses but as as Gustav is is you know making arrangements and whatever, I would think that Vadim's you know stronger instincts would would take a hold, and he would you know 
tell Gustav, you know, perhaps you can make arrangements for a hotel for us. That should be my first move. Yes, I am going to a um, place called the Opal is place I can get us into quite easily. I've, through friends we have here, I was able to do so, yes. It is discreet, this, uh, this Opal. Not flamboyant. The people do not go there to be seen. People do not go there to be seen by paparazzi or other people who wish to be seen. No, this is, it's it's nice, small, um, 12 rooms, little place. I trust you, Gustav. You have, you've proven very cap- capable gentleman. Thank you, Mr. Gavrilov. Uh, I have address here. If uh, ta- you get cab, I will grab rest of my bags. Okay. Yeah, he's, um, you know, you have the stuff that he was able to get through or by yourself, you know, again, false bottom to the, you know, to a, you know, a whole suitcase gets this in and that in. Um, some of the stuff I'm assuming was left with Jack as well. I mean, I'm sure you guys split up some of that cargo, that heavier artillery. Absolutely. Uh, um, among the two, especially if if he's going to Africa, the checks there are going to be like non-existent. He, his family <laughs> probably runs them. <laughs> yeah, he'll land on his own property. You know, he'll literally take a plane in and just be like, yeah, okay. So for Jack to get those away and get them back would be very simple. That's smart. Yeah. So, uh, but if anything specific that you grabbed, you know, just mark it down, and we'll we'll deal with that as we go. The yeah, the cab cab pulls up. It's a beautiful ride. It, the, Lisbon is also one of those places that's known as a city of like seven or eight hills, sort of like Rome is it has that same architecture and style. Mm-hmm. Lisbon has a lot of rolling hills. Drive there is magnificent. It's breathtaking. Portugal is really. Listeners, if you've never seen it, I've never really had an interest until I really started looking into history and things like that. The history of the country is amazing. Second oldest city in all of Europe, um, Lisbon. It, it's just amazing stuff. And if you love the beauty of a landscape, it's it's got everything. It's really a really beautiful country. So to all those people from Portugal, salute. Salute. I think they say however they do it. Um, all right. So, yeah, you're into the middle of the district uh, in no time. They have those beautiful walkways that are all tiled with those sweeping, right? These sweeping scenes that look like waves and stuff, but it's all flat tile on the ground and the stonework is done that way. The buildings have all these magnificent patterns of tiles. Tiles are such a big thing in Lisbon. And uh, it's really, he takes, you know, the, the, the cab takes you through a couple of winding streets and then you board a trolley. It's easier because the narrow up in the old section of the city, it's very, very, very narrow. So you jump on trolley number 28, which is the roundabout, and you get off at this one little, very indescript. It looks like just one of the, the homes. But on the outside, there's a small sign that says the Opal. And it, you know, that's it. It's, that's what you got. And he goes, yes, this is it. Um, this trolley will take us to any major interfair uh, section uh, around city. So very convenient, but Opal very small and usually booked. So I was able to get room for us. We have to share. I'm sorry, Mr. Gavrilov, but if you come with me. Goes inside. Yep. Checks in. Everything's arranged perfectly. Porters will take your stuff. They're not, he's not, you know, they, he, do you want to just check the room quickly? Make sure everything's where you like. Mm, it requires proper sweep. Mm, I, I understand. I agree. I agree. He tips the porter, opens it up. You have a balcony that overlooks the trolleys, the, the actual trolley run up the, the track and the small, narrow cobblestone streets. Uh, that's the street outside of it. Uh, it's a whitewashed building, but again, it, around the doorways, it has those, fancy tiles that come to some sort of a escape from when you know lisbon was the maritime power that it was back in the 14 or 1500s yeah vadim would quickly go over the room in in a way that he can professionally quickly all right give me a roll let's just have some fun with that that's going to be a 63 on the roll which would be a regular success 
Excellent. Okay, so with 63 on the roll, regular success. Between yourself and Gustav, lampshades, unscrew phone, you know, the phone with the speaker part, the top part the best you can, lights, everything seems to be perfectly in order. Like this doesn't, nothing seems to be out of place. You're you're very, fairly confident between the two of you that you would have caught anything that would have been, you know, a problem in your line of work. Yeah, you're fine. After doing that sweep then, he's all business puts his stuff away. He starts getting uh, outfitted. He's he's uh, he's arming himself. He has his uh, his under the jacket uh, holsters. You know, secondary on the on the, on the on the heel, knife on the back, making sure that his clothing and everything is in order. He actually takes some time to uh, to wet his hair and and check his appearance in the mirror as he has a second passing thought that it's the first time he may see his kids in a long time, and he wants himself to look as good as he can. Yeah, this is going to be uh, to be quite the emotion. And Gustav, you know, is patiently waiting for you. He does make a phone call. He says, um, you know, I do want to just check in uh, with the network. This phone now, we believe, is clear. So I have switchboard run to another phone, and then they will relay call back to us, and I will get it here. But no one, there'll be no trace to the way we do this. But um, while you get ready, I take 10 minutes, I check in. Take your time. So he dials a number. It's very much Shadow-esque, like when they used to use um, Burbank. You know, there'd be messages running through switchboards and Burbank would connect and then have somebody call back a false number to call this number. And the lines we get all, that's just the whole kind of that pulpy, cosmic, got to move things around and keep everybody guessing. But yeah, in about nine minutes, the phone rings and uh, Gustav picks up and he kind of, yes, the Opal Mm -hmm. on the 28th. Thank you. And he hangs up. We're good, Mr. Gavrilov. We, they know we are here. This is Gustav's contacts know that we are here? Mm-hmm. Yep. Good. It is good and possibly have help if needed. And I am trying to make sure that we get Miss Aveline back should you require me to. If you need any help, I can stay a few extra days as long as we are. I, but I'd like to get her moving towards home. Uh, others could finish her journey. Is Aveline's casket with us? It's at the, it's right now. That's what he paid that guy to get off. Of course. Yep. So it's in storage. Uh, they're moving it. What now? This guy that you were supposed to be contacting is a warehouse guy with cold storage. So maybe they even put it there once you make contact. Like that might be something they can do. But for t- right now, he, she's in the customs lounge. You know, the customs warehouse. And he's hoping to. The, at this point, he wants to just get her home. Like he just like let's just get her out of here. Gustav's fully aware of of what my purpose here is. Yes, I mean he's been around the conversations over the last several weeks, right. two and a half weeks, three weeks. Yeah. All right, back over to the girls for a moment, uh, ladies. We are live uh, back in the basement in New York's in Brooklyn in a brownstone. Uh, Ella, you are, you, you know, you've now made the full circle. You've kind of, the lights are where the, the, the gas lights are still burning the way they are. But you see some, you, you know, you see the, uh, the pedestal that I spoke about, the podium that has a book open on it. The text is Old Sumerian. You've seen it before. You've, in your time looking at this stuff, there's certain textbooks that hold great interest to what we like to refer to as the dabbler. People that think they understand the occult, but in actuality, have n- they know the hot topics and things to talk about, and they know the texts that make other people cringe. The Necronomicon, right? But what power does that book truly hold? Well, in your head, it could hold a ton, but is it, is it old, old enough? Is it arcane enough? Does it do the things that you know are possible for it to do? This book is one of those books that's right on that edge. Like 
some people can quote from it, but they probably don't understand the real the real power behind some of the imageries in it and the, the arcane symbols. And yet there are true believers who think this book is absolutely a key to a doorway. Like this is one of those ones you have to have. So it's it's that quasi in between thing where, like I said, you know, someone in a in a in a cult shop let's say, I don't know, in Berlin, you know, in a thesopical society might actually know what this book is <laughs> before they get kicked in the shin. But, um, but they also, these are the same people, the heavy hitters would be like, yeah, this text, some of it's garbage, but there is some things in here that like the Voic, what is it? The Voira manuscript, the one that has all the weird drawings that they claim was done in a night uh, by Satan. Like it was, you know, in 24 hours, he'd produce this book that the Voicrum manuscript, that kind of thing. So this book sits right on that edge. All right, so you see that, and that kind of gives you the idea that certain pages in your background you know are powerful. A lot of it's garbage, but it's opened up to one of the more powerful pages. Like, this is one of those incantations where you say, yeah, this could, in the right hands, be ugly. And that is there on the podium. Is it a summoning? Is it a binding? So this is more of a knock and wait for an echo response. This is who's there. What, where do, where can I get to go or what can, what door can I open? It really, the sigils on the ground in front of the sarcophagus appear to be binding, but the spell itself is not a summon. It is a crack the door and see what's there. So basically Ella's thinking these guys, that whoever did this was a goddamn fool because any spirit malevolent or benevolent is going to come through. And they don't know what they're going for. It wasn't as specific a doorway as it should be. This is one of those ones, exactly. This is one of the ones in the book that actually could work, but you need to be a master in order to keep yourself safe. Like, you're thinking, yeah, this could go shit-ass wrong real quick. Okay, yeah, she's gonna spend a minute, like, flipping through that, and, like, if Catherine's still there, she's still kind of in scholarly transma where she's like I'm I need to understand what the hell this was for cuz you got all these unanswered questions about who Richard Dawson was his like he, she the she knows the basics of the story like Crowley was involved and mm-hmm. the mother was very beloved and like in Faye's eyes and this is just a little much and she wants to know more so it's very much like she's flipping through it as quickly as she can trying to figure out what's going on so can i do like an occult role or something yeah um you can like me a occult role let me ask you a question are you explaining to Catherine what your go- what your goal is like your goal here isn't just to seek power your goal is to try to give Faye peace right that is what she's doing but it's gonna come out funny as she's like going through it and like trying to explain it because again Catherine hears magic and it goes one ear out the other so Ella would be like flipping through it manically like oh god from the movie The Mummy what's her face when she gets the book of the dead in her hands it's like oh she's excited to see it but she's not trying to do anything with it Catherine this doesn't make any sense why would a master like Crowley teach someone to use a spell that opens a doorway into a plane of existence that we don't know anything that's on it because he's a disgusting son of a bitch i don't know yes but he's a master he knows what to do these symbols don't appear like they could capture something of greater power it's it's a basic it's a basic spell of like a wraith or or something much smaller than that but what if he accidentally brought something here like this just this is foolhardy behavior at best so it doesn't make it, it makes zero sense as to why dawson would use this 
book, especially when he himself would know that this probably doesn't do a lot in the way of the man lost his wife. Have you have you, you ever been around people grieving? Men grieving? They do stupid things. Grieving does not account for irrational behavior as well. And you may yes, agree. It does. You may yes, agree otherwise, but when you are dealing with this sort of power. You want to be careful, not bring it into your home where your sleeping child could get attacked by it, right? Our friend thought he was helping and looked an eldritch being in the face and said, Sick em, boy! People are irrational! They do crazy things! I can't explain this! I don't want to explain it! I don't want to understand it! But how else are you supposed to get the answers that you need? I don't need any answers! Well, she does. Faye I does. don't. I don't. I don't think she does. I think what she needs is a Valium and a nap. <laughs> That's that is so, Catherine. I think what she needs is a hot toddy and a and a juicer of morphine. Just about a fifth. <laughs> That's awesome, Catherine. <laughs> Darling, she ran out of here screaming about her mother because she's upset. Exactly. What if she's in there? We'll cut there. Okay, back to Vodum. Uh, <laughs> what if she's in there? Oh, these are going to be so much fun. <laughs> that wasn't a plan. <laughs> I, d- I just set it up for him. Back to Vodum. So, Vodum, you're, uh, yeah, you, uh, you take the 28 down to the center of the city, and then you can either grab another, there's other trolleys that go out or a cab from there. Once you're out of this tighter, these tighter streets, the cabs move a lot easier. Mm-hmm. You So you get down into the main part of the um, the plaza where the big, that giant anchor is, and then it's got the, the the you know the the harbor looks down below, and you're you're at the top looking. There's there's that one tower that sits there that's always looking out to the ocean that talks about how Lisbon was you know the the great driving sea force of the time. Uh, that's all, all. This stuff is just you know you've seen it, you've heard of it. Anybody that knows anything about Europe knows these certain landmarks. But you're able to get a cab, and it's probably we're gonna say it's about two o'clock in the afternoon, and you make your way down towards the uh, I guess right. You're gonna head for the warehouse district. Absolutely. All right, so we'll get that. So yeah, the cab drops you off the where the warehouse district of Lis- of Lisbon, as you can imagine, being the, the biggest and I'm not even sure if it's the only, but I know it's the biggest port city in all of uh, Portugal. is is just huge, and these warehouses, like I said, they're two three hundred feet long. 70 to 100 feet wide. They look like airplane hangers of today, but you know, a little more narrow, but that just that giant long length because you're just storing thousands and thousands of crates, right? Getting ready to leave on different ships coming in and out all day long. It's probably able to berth something like 20 or 30 of its time mega cruise like, you know, carriers, you know, 8,000, 10,000, 25,000 tons displaced, which back then for a cruiser was huge. But yeah, so you got like 20 of them in, in, in going in and out of port. Mm-hmm. But um, it doesn't take you long once you speak to the, uh, the security guard, because a lot of it is behind fencing uh, to a security guard to find out where the Alvarez warehouses are. And sure enough, his office is at number five. So you have these in his dis- that district of the, that property. He has se- there's several buildings, but he owns numbers two, three, five, seven, fifteen, and seventeen, as you said. So uh, he tells you that if you're looking for the Alvarez offices, you'll find them, in, at, you know, in warehouse number five. I thank him, and and uh, you know, with Gustav, we head directly to warehouse number five. It's about a ten minute walk. Give me a listen roll. So with keen hearing, he has his bonus die. So that is a thirty-two on a sixty-two. So a thirty-two. Um, with uh, his listen, that it's is got to be a hard success. Uh, just off, it's a regular success. 
Oh, really? Okay. There's a lot of milling about, a lot of conversations going on. You're at Warehouse, you know, you're, you've just passed number two. It does say, you know, Alvarez, but you know this one isn't one of the ones, isn't his one that has the the uh, actual offices in it attached to it. So you keep walking. Um, you hear people selling all kinds of stuff. Uh, girls are selling uh, drinks like that they pour right there for the lunchtime. There's little food trolleys that are up that are just making different types of uh, Portuguese. Like the, some have these pots of stew and things where people can come over or because it's ju- January, right? It's cold. Uh, they have like chowders and things that they make. Th- th- oh, like servicing Portuguese. all the workers and such that. Uh... Yeah, right. Because they're closed and they're, t- they're, they're dialing down a little bit because it's after lunch. Like it's two o'clock. So lunch is kind of at its end. Sure. You know, the, the period crane workers are, you know, there's, there's old, 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 just gas powered cranes that are, that are running. Trucks are going by. It's very, very noisy, but you do hear a voice kind of come across that. Shoe shine, shine your shoes, shoe shine. Anyone you just turn and it, it, you think you see your wife's eyes. Like it's, it's this young boy and he's just standing there and he's shining shoes by the docks for the gentlemen who are doing business, you know, the businessmen who come in and out and check on freight and everything else. And he's just standing there. He's not dressed poorly. He's not dressed great. I mean, he's in clothes that, you know, have seen better, a few better days, but he's got a little stand and um, it looks like he's trying to just make some money. Yeah. He's doing shoe shining. You can, you're, you're pretty, you're 95% sure it's Aslan. I I resist the urge to run over to him. It's been so long that I I don't, I don't want to shock him. Or make him afraid. So I, I walk over and uh, I pull some coins from my pocket and, and I say, um, you know, you shine, please. Yes, yes, sir. Please. His Portuguese is good. Not quite native, but good. Even though, I mean, he's been here since he was a young man. But you can, like, other Portuguese people going by don't even acknowledge that he has a bad accent. But you hear some other languages that are kicking through the way he speaks a little bit. Like, it's almost like he draws his letters too long or doesn't have that 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 Portuguese mouth blow that they have every time they say something at the end of a sentence. It's like, wow, that woof, that puff. But, uh, yeah, he's, he sits you down. No recognition. Matter of fact, yeah, he doesn't even meet your eyes. He just says, okay, sir, please. And he sits down. He opens up his kit. He's matching up what color polish. Because back then, right, yeah, like nine or ten different polishes the kids had. They're trying to make sure he doesn't stain the shoe the wrong color. Sure. Put my shoes up, looking at them that they are pitiful to even consider being being shined. (laughs) But um, I I put it up on the block nonetheless. Um, And I say to him, that is interesting accent you have. It does not sound local. He's smacking the, the the brushes together, and he's got you know he's got the polish on the rag. Cuts back, and he says, "No, I I don't live too far. My um, sister and I we we're here, very you know close. You have very heavy accent. Are you not Portuguese?" And he starts buffing his shoes. Gustav is looking at you like, "Is this him? Is this, are you sure? Like this is him?" I kind of motion to Gustav to you know you know kind of hang back. Okay, so he starts to mill about, kind of go out a little bit. He's up. Uh, 15, 20 feet away, just kind of, you know, he goes over and grabs a beverage or some sort. I'm sure they, back then, they probably didn't allow them to have a beer in, in Europe, you know, on lunch. So he grabs a, some sort of a Portuguese beer. I say, my my uh, my accent is a very proud Russian one. Have you ever met a Russian before? Nope. Never been to Russians. From paper boys that are friends of mine, lots of uh, crazy peoples sometimes uh, have been, in the past, I've been told there was many things, but now... Quiet now in Russia. So good place, nice place to live. It is. It is home. You uh you have uh you have sister. 
What about parents? Uh, mother, perhaps? He stops and pauses, and he just kind of shakes his head for a moment and then says, uh, Working. Always working. You know, how it is. Try to make best for everyone. Try to do the things she can do. Mothers are that way, aren't they not? Always seeming to look after their children as best they can. He just pats his eye with his sleeve. I notice he's crying. He's holding on, but he, you can tell that he, you, it's hit a nerve. I am sorry if I mentioned something sensitive. No, no, it's um this oxblood color. It's very strong. The color to red. It uh, to but your shoes are looking better. If you just and he asks you to kind of stick it so you can get the heel. And he's buffing on the, you know, buffing the heel as best as he can. He's trying to get a good, good polish on it. But he, so he's talked about his mom a little bit. Door opens up. Men are coming, walking out, walking up and looking around. They see him shining. One guy looks at him shining shoes and kind of nods. All right, whatever. But he's outside of warehouse three. This man starts walking down towards warehouse five. Gustav looks at the way he's dressed, looks at you and kind of goes, that could be Franco. That could be Alvarez. And he's coming towards us. Well, he's he's walked out of warehouse three where your where your son is set up, and he's making his way past four and, and down to five. It must be a real pain in the ass for him to not own one and four, like, like yeah. you know, that's so like he's never been able to push this guy out. But it's a different shipping company. Yeah, it's it's yeah, it's just someone that had it before him. I yeah. can imagine the uh, the give and take that happens there on a daily basis. <laughs> it's just my stuff's in the way, your stuff's in the way, everyone yelling. Yeah, but yeah, there's cargo going in and out. But he definitely gave your son a look like. Like like he's surprised he's shining shoes? Uh-huh. Huh. I say, um I say to the I say to the to the boy, uh, that man give you funny look as he leave. Are you not supposed to be here? No, no. I'm I'm here every day. Every day I I I I I, I do this. Shining I shoes. Shine. Yes, I have to. It's how I help with my my parents. Um it's how I do think do what I can. This does seem uh, an odd location to find clientele for such thing. Do many warehouse workers need their shoes shined? No, but many bosses and international men um, who come to work in with warehouses and arrange for deliveries and pickups like to look good before their meetings. A man walks up and in his cap drops a couple of whatever the Lisbon currency was at the time. I apologize, re- listeners. I did not look for that. And he leans in and he quickly grabs something out of his shoeshine kit and hands it to the guy. And the guy walks away. Do I notice what it is he grabs out of it? Looks like a folded piece of paper. That's it? Mm-hmm. Back over to the girls. Um, all right, ladies. <laughs> yeah, we'll uh, <laughs> we'll see what happens with that. So, Ella, you are... The book has given you everything it can. You've seen, like I said, you, this kind of a manuscript, you know what it's capable of in the wrong hands. You know what it's capable of in a, in a good pair of hands if done carefully. But at this room right now, the, the thing that's drawing all of your attention, that's pulling towards you, is the sarcophagus. But go, what was the occult roll that you made, by the way, for the book? What did you make? God damn it. 83. Wow. All right. Well, I don't know what your occult is. N- not 83. Not 88. Anything. Occult is 55. So the book itself, you get no additional pulse or power from it. Just like I said, what you know is just this background of this book. And again, listeners, if you're if you sometimes are Jonesy on rules in Cthulhu, uh, in in Pulp Cthulhu and regular Cthulhu, even if you make a role poorly, like you don't make a great success, you still may find out something. There could be some misgivings in it but you'll always get some bit of information nobody searches a library doesn't come away with something is the general idea however do you roll a critical fail (laughs) that's bad 96 to 100 bad so 
Ella, you didn't make a bad success. You just didn't find anything out, out above what I gave you of the the fact that this book has some power, but not in the right hands. Gotcha. Okay, yeah. So she's just not believing that there couldn't be a connection of some kind of foul play, or this just doesn't feel right in her magic brain. So let me ask you a question. Are you, po- are you more concerned that because you know the company he kept, this book doesn't appear to be powerful enough? Or are you thinking... And, and like, there's no way Crowley or these kind of masters would have made this mistake to just do this? Or are you thinking this is a ruse? Like, something's wrong? For me, it would be the former. I'd love to say both. But Ella would be like, no, if if Richard Dawson was as unhinged as that to try and do rituals to bring Nora back or whatever, or whatever it is they think is going on, Crowley wouldn't say, hey, get this random book to open a doorway to God knows what. He would say, find Anubis, Osiris, if it's Egyptian, or if they want something to make a pact, they would find a different piece of a demonic energy that they know can summon this sort of thing. Not an open doorway into a plane that nobody really can explain, and no one knows what's actually out there. It seems more of a shot in the dark rather than a sure thing, which is what magicians want when they do rituals like this a sure thing they want a determined success but sure so yeah she's definitely thinking this doesn't feel right it feels like maybe this was richard before he got in touch with crowley i don't know but ella's just kind of spouting this off like this this doesn't feel this doesn't feel correct for what i know about everything else going on with this guy so so where are we at with that, Ellis? Uh, Catherine, I'm sure, is giving you the look of anytime you're done, we can go upstairs and get a get a snifter of something. I'm waiting for her to react to what if she's in there. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. So yeah, Catherine, what if she's in there? Then you do what normal people do when someone's in a box. You let them be. I'm not. Okay. When I say she's in there, I don't know if she's actually in there. She might be not in there, but in there at the same time. What the fuck are you talking about? Have you ever heard of limbo? Like with a pina colada on the beach or the religious concept? What? The religious concept of a place in between life, death, and all that is in between. She is in limbo. I've seen her ghost. I was there. Ghost can still mean that she's in an afterlife. Limbo is sort of a She was chained up in dripping paint. You weren't there. I I saw this woman's ghost. Whatever he did to her, it's bad news, and she's not not doing great. She's suffering, and, you know, last time we got involved with Dawson and Magic and that woman, we almost died. I had to kill a man, okay? Ella wouldn't know that. Oh. Right? That was Thelema. That was Nobody's spoken to... No, Again, I'm going off yep. of everything we've ever spoken about in RP. She doesn't know anything about Thelema, and she's like... Well, there, it, Thelema may have come up, but you can't... We don't want to assume that... Like, for her to have that memory, it would only be if you shared those experiences. Uh, not that you may not have during no, the no, course no, of I'm, this whole run. I'm fully prepared for, you know, Ella not to know this information and me telling her this. Like, no, no, no. I know that this woman and this, this is fucked up. So let's not fuck up further. And that makes, and you know what? Catherine's reaction makes perfect sense. Philema was, was horrific for her. Um, it, it nearly shattered what little, you know, what it was, it was already tentative what was going on anyway with, with all the shit after Venice. Catherine really almost took a nosedive into the deep part of the water with Philema. So I can understand your absolute reluctance to want to, you know, poke another bear and see what's inside the box. That makes perfect sense to me. But also Ella's trying to give face something trying to clear the waters that are so murky right now. 
So Ella, what do you, how do you want to approach doing what we had discussed, which is clearing the waters, you know, making this a little bit easier, or trying to get that one piece of information that might be able to give Faye some peace. You had said you were thinking of doing that off mic. She like puts the, closes the pages of the book and like walks towards Catherine so that they're closer, but she's not touching her. Right. And she looks her dead in the eyes and goes, I do believe I gave you the information you needed to know about Aveline's unfortunate passing. I've given you information into a lot of things that we needed to do this mission to further our cause and help save other people from dark forces like this. This is not me trying to poke or knock on the door. I have no intention of using a spell. I just... There's something about this that doesn't feel right. I can sense it. It's wrong. And with All the Crowley involved, and with Crowley involved, with, and with Crowley involved, knowledge is the only thing we have to use against him. This, this is something that perhaps can connect the puzzle pieces better for Faye, for us, for all that we must do, inevitably. This is the starting point of Richard Dawson's secrets. This is where it all accumulated. And I'm, my gift, you think my gift brings pain. It does! It does! You... You floated above the air like some sort of... Because I touched something on Vodum's orders! I did it for him, and I will do it again for every single person! If it was you asking me to hold something of a lover, a child, you wanted to know the answers. I do it for you, Catherine. I don't intentionally bring pain. I look for answers. This isn't me trying to tear someone apart this is all i can do i'm not a gunshot i'm not anything but this so please why do you keep fighting me on this we'll bring it there bottom back to you yeah it's intense just a little these moments are great yeah they did they're doing a great job all right so the the young man doesn't look at you he passes off this piece of paper when you look down uh bottom though the the money was uh, the bill is folded and now you can see it's it's a fairly good denomination like it's it's more than 5 or 10 shoe shines. Oh, so the the man gave him a bill and he gave him back a folded paper in return. So he dropped a bill into the into the cap. Ah, I see. I and now that, that it's folded, yeah, and now that it, and when he passed something back to him, it was a folded piece of paper, yes. I let that pass. I kind of let a moment go, you know, I don't want to see I I I felt like I was grilling him almost a little too much. As as a couple of moments go by, I say, um, so what's your name, uh, young man? Marcus. Marcus. It is good Roman name. Um, I think my mother may have some, some background into the Italian, I think. My, uh, she never talks much about, you know, always busy. Do you know the gentleman who uh, run these warehouses, Mr. Alvarez? Give me a spot hidden. Or a psychology role, whatever. You know what? Uh, really, on those, you're supposed to use psychology, I think. Give me a psychology on change of face, yeah? No, 92. He pauses a little different. He goes, um, yes, yes, uh, I pay him uh, to, he allows me every day I have to give him small portion. He's a good man. He He's patient with me. He's, he's even skipped some days, not making me pay rent when it's raining or you know, men don't have need to shine shoes. But he's always... He's very fair. Good. He kind of nods to himself like he's convincing himself. Yeah, good man. He's a good man. It is good that you learn business early. This is this is skill for young men. And to know that uh, business means you are you are responsible for yourself and those you love only. 
I just I just do what I was able to save for a kit that I bought for my friend. I I don't really. It's not business. It's just shoeshine. Does this Mister Alvarez know your mother? I don't know. I, I they really don't. She's come down a few times uh, in the past uh, when I first started, but uh, she's always like I said, so busy. She doesn't normally come down to to check on me. I'm here till till the sun goes down. Get here early. It's a long day, but it is what needs to be done. Is he finishing up the job? Yeah. Gustav's looking at you like, do you need me to get my shoe shine? So we, you, you want me to do it? Like, do you need time? I kind of, I kind of, you know, put my hand down to wave him back. And I say, well, uh, thank you. Thank you for the uh, good job, Marcus. And I, I wish you, I wish you all the best in your future, young man. Thank you. Obrigado. I, uh, I head over to Gustav and, and I say, um, Gustav, would you discreetly keep a keep an eye on the young man for me, um, and let me know if he begins to leave immediately? Of course. Where can I find you? I will be in the offices speaking with Mister Alvarez. Oh, speaking as in, do you want me to stay close there so no one interrupts your conversation, sir, or do you? That could be uh, helpful as well. <laughs> speaking can uh, can incorporate all sorts of things sometimes i know how aveline used to speak and sometimes it was best that we were close by <laughs> i am again reminded i wish i knew this aveline we used to have to yodel sometimes to drown out gunshots <laughs> just, just, we'll, we'll cut that mouth <laughs> <Yodeling. laughs> <laughs> Do a little Ricola action. Um, all right. So, yeah, you make your way across the, the face of Warehouse 4. You see, you know, you kind of look back to Gustav just checking around, and he get, makes this the symbol like of a drop, like a flop, like someone flipping a card. And he points to to Marcus again. He kind of like – and uh, you're just catching the end of him handing somebody something as they walk by. So there is clearly some sort of drop that goes on there, uh, passing of information. Information is what – yeah, is what it looks like. So someone has renamed my child and subjugated him into their employ. No, no, no. Maybe he gave you a false name because he was smart enough to, because you said, where are you from? Who's your mother? And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah he's yeah. like, oh no, hell no. And he's, I'm, I'm, for, I'm, I keep in my mind thinking he's younger. Yeah. He's like 13 or 14. Yep. If somebody started poking, he might've been told you never, you know, you just don't talk about it enough. You know, what stays in, what happened in Russia stays in Russia. So yes, you go to the offices of Mr. Alvarez. Gustav's about 20 steps behind you. It's amazing how he's able to shadow and kind of keep at a, at an angle that's sort of in a blind spot where even if you turn your head, he's just a half a step out of getting, you're, you're even like, yeah, this, these guys know exactly how to like stay in that one corner on the left and right that where if you kind of give him a quick look, you still only catching them like barely there. Mm-hmm. And he moves through crowds and he stops and he knows how to pause and make himself part of a conversation or light a cigarette. And you make your way into the building and warehouse four is busy, but a lot of, um, a lot of African, uh, Moroccan type people around warehouse four. It looks like that ship must've just come in sure. and they're unloading a lot of, uh, of freight from, uh, that continent. So that that's, and there's a name above it in Portuguese, but whatever. Then view the Alvarez offices is a sort of like, it looks like it was built as an afterthought almost to the warehouse. It's, um, I would say it's a shed, but it's like a bump out. Yeah, it's a bump out. And that's that's exactly what it is. But it's, you know, it's there. It's January. It's smokes coming off the thing because they're burning wood inside to keep it warm and or coal. And you can make your way on inside. I do kind of shake off the cold a bit, blow in my hands and ask for Mr. Alvarez. OK, there's a woman, a secretary there. She has a little name placard. It's Pesqui. It's just bastardized Portuguese name. But she says, um, 
Uh, do you have uh, and now she's speaking in fluent Portuguese? Do you sp- you don't speak Portuguese, right? Not at all. Okay, so uh, the minute that you let her know she doesn't, she does have some broken English. She's like appointment today for uh, Franco Alvarez. I travel great distance uh, with mutual friend to see Mister Alvarez. Oh, one second. And in Portuguese, she relays what you believe is your, you know, that you have business with him. And uh, please sit. He t- five minutes. Uh, just five minutes. Coffee. Something warm? Drink? No, thank you. Ah. She points to a, a bunch of chairs. It's the old 1920s and 30s, 800-pound steel chairs they used to make that were the most ungodly comfortable things you ever sat in. Just a little bit of padding and a lot of weight. Like, if you picked one up and hit somebody, that you're just going to knock them the fuck out. That kind of just heavy, like, furniture. Sure. But, uh, yeah, there's four or five of them lined up outside. Her desk is is organized, but definitely busy. Like, you can see she does a lot of paperwork. As I sit down, I am scoping out the office, her desk, the the, the, the amount of the doors that come into the room, potential weapons that can be used from within the room. Um, do I hear any other voices? I don't anticipate danger, but um, I'm uh, I'm a little upset at the situation I'm finding. So sure, um, the the it's that corrugated metal on the roof. So you know you you that doesn't keep heat great. Uh, so it is a little cooler, but they're burning. The, they're, like I said, they're burning a big potbelly stove with coal. You see shipping maps all over by her wall. There's clocks uh, from 14 different time zones. Any of them say Nepal? Uh, any of them say Nepal? Yeah, uh, yeah. Good. So you've got that. They're they're up there, and um, it seems that most of his business is either just along the east, the western coast. I'm sorry, the eastern, the eastern coast of the United States. So Panama, uh, some one or two ports in the north of the United States, Brazil, obviously Portuguese and Brazil, right? Shipping a lot back and forth, and everything else is then through the you know the uh, Tyrrhenian Sea, and that way into Asia, Asia Minor. And stuff like that seems to be his where his boats seem to travel the most. And there's like 14 different ships up on the wall currently with schedules and and things. And she's got all kinds of file folders with the same names that match. Like you're able to pick all that stuff up pretty quickly. You know, you're a really observant guys. So a couple minutes go by, door opens, and the gentleman that you did see walk past before lets another man out. They they embrace the European way and you know when they do business. He pats him on the back, walks into the door, looks at you, nods, kind of gives you the finger one minute, lets the other man out, shuts it and says, Please. This, Mr. My name is Vadim Gavrilov. I am an associate of Ying Ko's. I see. Ying Ko. Correct. Hmm. Please. My office? After you, sir. And he starts to walk in. Back to you, Catherine. Ella. Catherine, I am sorry for the break. At that point, it seemed like there was something going on. So wind your head back up and pump the shotgun and let fire, whatever you I think. have my retort ready. <laughs> Of course, because she had time to prep. You did amazing without a prep. I don't want to hear it. That was that was Excuse epic. Me. Cthulhu and Cairo RPG. This is Catherine's retort, everyone. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I'm wow. sorry. I had this like 10 serious, minutes. This is a serious moment. This is Hit a serious it. moment. Catherine, deep breath in. She composes herself, dear, dear audience. I'm going to say three things. One, and let me talk. I don't ramble, okay? One, you're very quick to martyr yourself. Two, you talk about, oh, I'd read for you. I'd read for, I I did it for Vodum. I'd do it for, no one's asking you to right now. 
It's okay. Three, and this is the this is the real reason why I keep fighting you on this one. Last time we looked into, you know, Dawson's secrets, Dawson's past. Yeah? Last time we did, Crowley said peekaboo and ripped a man to shreds. I'm scared. You, when you get like this, you scare me. And I'm not going to support this because the road to hell is paved with people's good intentions. And I'm not going to be privy to when this all goes to when this all goes to hell or somewhere worse, somewhere else, somewhere mystical where they don't know what is happening. Uh, This, if you're saying it smells funny, if you're saying something feels wrong, all the more reason to not get involved. That's the response of a sane person. So I'm no longer sane. That's what you're telling me right now. Your reactions to things sometimes and what you can do is not normal. Our friend's mind broke. You saw the art on the wall. That doesn't bother you. That doesn't shake you. That doesn't give you a bit of, I don't know, caution. Don't you dare think that because I don't mope around and fear the things that I can't understand, that I don't think that there is danger here. Don't think that my flighty attitude or my act as the fool means that I don't think before I do things. You don't understand my actions because you choose not to. I'll never win against that. I'll never win against someone who chooses to remain in the dark. I stared abyss into the face as well. And you know what? Yes, some people break. But I learned there's only one thing you can stop. There's only one thing you can do to protect yourself. And that is know it. Hmm. Oh, don't. Hmm. Me, Catherine. You will never understand me. You never even try. And I don't have to. You're right. You don't. But you don't respect me either. I respect you and your gifts. I respect your healing. But you will never, I don't think, respect what I bring. So really, what's the point in me being here? What's the point of me protecting you? If you want to touch the box, touch the box. I'm not- you're not going to get permission from me, and you don't need permission from me. But you can't ask me to condone it. I don't. You just seem to stand in the way anyway. Trying to help. Catherine, I think what you're doing is, I, I believe the caution is noble. I think that the idea that Catherine wouldn't want to leave somebody in danger and you know wants to try to avoid it at all costs. Both characters are playing directly into what they are. So I, I, I think this was really, this is great RP. This doesn't, this isn't, it's not counterproductive. It, it's, it's actually what I would, you know, it makes sense that it would happen if you're watching a movie and these two characters have this moment, it would make, it would be magical. So, but I, at the end of the day, I think Ella, you're just, Unless, unless she juices you or tries to knock you down. I mean, you're going to grab that box, right? You think this needs to happen for Faye. It's not just Faye. There's always, at least in this instance, she feels like because this is where all of Richard Dawson's insanity basically lies, like all his research into the occult, whatever, however amateur or progressed they are based on what she's seen so far, it's like this could help them figure out what their next step is objects provide imagery not just of the direct actions but like of where people are in conjunction with it so she knows she's not trying to tap into power she's tapping into memory it's it's not 
heinous. I the doll heads. Yes, she was doing something based on the will of a friend to try and figure out what happened to his kids, and she messed with forces that reacted violently. This is like all of her past readings, though, are usually just imagery based on memory. This isn't a summoning. This is a. This is just a recall. You're not speaking to a presence. This is this is recalled, not conversational, not not encounter. Yeah, but Catherine doesn't want to hear that, even though like she explains- well to Catherine to uh, that the, to Catherine doesn't make there's no difference. Yeah, yeah, there's in her eyes there's no difference. I could explain chemistry, and you look at me like I have lobsters crawling out of my ears. Exactly, which means yeah, that one, there's- one was in right, one was encounter, one is one is memory recall. That's that's a great way to explain it. Um, I think that's where we're going to stop for tonight. We're going to pick back up first thing with Ga- with Vadim and Franco Alvarez. Uh, we'll start there in Portugal, and we will get the read from Ella Walcott off of uh, Nora Dawson's sarcophagus. It's what it appears to be. But we'll do that next time. Uh, we want to thank everybody. Cast, amazing job, girls, great ladies, not girls, I'm sorry, ladies, amazing, amazing RP. Vadim, I love the, the interplay between Mark, Mark, Marcus and yourself. We'll see how we'll see how much that goes down. Uh, but from all of us here at the Barda College, as always, thank you so much. Don't forget to like, share, subscribe, do all that stuff. Check out our Patreon, Operation Poltergeist is now live, and it is already getting some really big thumbs up. People are enjoying what they're hearing. So if you're enjoying the Cairo story, this is a whole, it, it, this is the back door of what they're doing, the other team is handling. It's really, uh, I, I think you'll enjoy how we all tied it together. Uh, but until next time, this is me saying good night. Thanks, Cast. We'll see you next time. Good night. Thanks for listening to this episode of Cthulhu in Cairo. You can like, share, and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. The music you're listening to is Return of the Mummy by the great Kevin McLeod. Join us next time to see where our intrepid explorers find themselves next.